Hello again, Jeremy. It's been a while. Nearly a full moon, I'd say. Last time your son was sleeping just down the hall. Do you remember? Don't worry. I'll take extra care not to wake you tonight. You don't look like you've been getting much sleep, poor dear. I have just a thing for you, though. Another bedtime story, once again, courtesy of my grandfather's journal. This one seems a lot older. Just how old is that man? October 31st, 1841. It's been some time since I've been sailing. For at least the last 40 years, I had stuck to land. It's far easier to encounter the types of things I've been looking for there. Perhaps one day I'll be able to connect with like-minded individuals who can share the burden of my journey. For now, I'm stuck with Christopher. Christopher was the type of man good for clearing out a barrel of whiskey. His warnings were frightening had you never so much as touched a drop of ocean water. Watch out for the pirates nearby was a common one. Beware of the devilish mermaids was another. The more serious warning he should have offered, yet was always absent, was the flammability of his own breath. And he is the crew member I was bunked with. For much of the journey, I found reason to plug my ears so that I would be exposed to as little of his drivel as possible. Christopher aside, the crew wasn't altogether unpleasant. I wondered the ship, and they were welcoming enough, although a handful took issue with my presence. I presume it was some sort of affront to their perceived masculinity. It mattered not that this course had an abnormally high count of wreckages adorning the ocean floor. The weather could not regularly be put to blame, nor was there any documentation of dangerous reefs or shoals. And so, having carefully cultivated a reputation as a man who somehow always survived, I was enlisted to investigate and protect the ship. Perhaps Christopher was right, and there were pirates. Perhaps there was something else. Whether mundane or not, the money earned would undoubtedly serve me well. How are things looking? John Williams, the captain, would ask whenever he caught me alone. There was a worried edge to his voice that his stoic face and salted beard couldn't hide. Not a sound, I'd reply, referencing the name of the ship, Sound of Silence. I was truthfully hoping for an easy payday. He'd nod and carry on his way. At first, I'd try to pry more out of him. That bit of something in his voice made me wonder if he knew something I didn't. He was a guarded man and insisted he was worried for his men's safety with us approaching the dark holiday and rumors of danger afloat. I let it go, although I was surprised at a reference to a dark holiday. Perhaps the fear for his crew was all I heard after all. While I didn't partake myself, the crew had an obvious camaraderie and would banter amongst themselves. 
One among them was an Irish gentleman, Patrick, who had their full attention as they dined, and he'd tell them tales of Samhain, of angels and of devils, all afoot on All Hallows' Eve. The devils had no need of dry land and could roam the seas at their pleasure. With a theatrical flair, he told them they might just encounter them this very night. The stories were thrilling. Despite his mild manner in all other aspects, his eyes would light up with a fire and passion that can only come from a storyteller as he spoke. The captain put a stop to the stories, despite the crew's protests. He didn't want their minds exploring nightmarish thoughts when we were so close to the vicinity of so much death. As the hours wore dark, the banter quieted, leaving a nervous tension in its wake. Crews who had shared the bar counter with these men had disappeared here, and no matter what fables were or were not shared, that thought would always be at the forefront of their minds. For my part, I was spending my time by the railing, searching the waters lit by a sliver of moonlight still hanging in the night sky. I didn't hear Captain John approach. It'll be a foggy one tonight. I glanced back in surprise, then continued searching atop the waters. How can you tell? He leaned against the rail next to me. You spend enough time out here, and you can just tell. It's in your skin, in your bones, in every breath. I nodded once, in a manner I could relate. You think the fog's what did in the others, I asked him. He was silent for a long moment, just staring at the water. Finally he answered, No, that's not what did it. Then he walked away. I resumed my perusal of the ship as he vanished to his quarters. Patrick was just ahead, also on alert. Patrick, I called quietly to him. How long have you been sailing aboard the Song of Silence? Like the captain, he didn't look at me as he spoke. Not long, six months or so. You ever sailed this route before? Once. It was uneventful. I nodded, following his gaze to the open seas. You seem like an observant sort, Patrick. What's your view on Captain John? He glanced at me. Like most of us, I gather his past has been a difficult one, perhaps more difficult than most. But I wouldn't be sailing for him if he didn't do right by his crew. Times are hard, I acknowledged. Do you know much about his past? He finally turned to face me, eyeing me carefully. What are you getting at? I shrugged. Making conversation to pass the night? It seems like it'll be an uneventful one, if foggy. He gave a short, humorless laugh. Not a sign of fog in the air, but I'll raise a glass to the idea of an uneventful night, he said, then paused. There's a lot of death out here, and the death of a crew member falls on the shoulders of the captain. And death, it's a heavy weight. Captain John bears it, and bears it well, if he is a part of your investigation then you aren't worth the coin spent. I started to apologize, but he interrupted me. Christopher is headed this way. It may be a good time to make use of the rags you've been tying around your ears. 
I smiled sheepishly and withdrew the rags I kept in my pocket in case of Christopher, feigning a headache if he asked. He'd babble on regardless, but it at least dimmed the nuisance. He seemed restless, and I suspected I'd spend much of the evening either trying to dodge him or resign to wear rags through the night. As soon as possible, I slipped away, easing my way by the captain's quarters. I peered in a window as I passed and instinctively crouched, pressing a hand to the metal window frame to steady myself. He sat facing the rear port window. I couldn't hear him, but he seemed to be speaking. As soon as he finished, he would freeze completely, as if time stopped. I was worried and was about to come in to try to help him when he finally resumed motion once again speaking. This repeated multiple times until eventually he stood and closed the window. I quickly jerked away from the window and nearly yelped as I found the window frame's edge to be much sharper than I expected, instantly slicing my hand. I made my way to my bunk to bandage my hand before I left a trail of blood wherever I went. Something was certainly on board this ship, and Captain John did nothing to set me at ease. Hand bandaged, I returned to the deck. I noticed the chill and density of the air I was breathing before I'd even stepped into the sudden fog that had appeared in the few minutes I'd been below deck. I couldn't see the other end of the ship through the thick gray. I made out a figure, perhaps fifteen feet away, visible only as a shadow cast by their lantern. I approached to find Patrick searching for anything beyond the railing. No sign of fog, I asked with a small smile. Worry plastered his face. This isn't right. Not tonight. I raised an eyebrow, but he didn't elaborate. I had assumed that the difference in opinion on the fog Patrick and Captain John had came down to experience, but Patrick's reaction to it made me question that. Before I could ask more, another figure emerged from the fog. I stepped a few feet towards him only to find that it was that damned Christopher. I tightened my earplugs and tried to look busy, a difficult feat when I didn't have any job to do but watch for danger at the moment. Between the rags and the fog, I couldn't even hear him. I smiled to myself and then remembered the present situation I was in. A lonely ship, an erratic captain, and a dense, untimely fog. It very well could all add up to nothing, but with the way my life tends to go, that is never my first assumption. I turned back to Patrick, but he was already gone. Ignoring Christopher's boozy breath, I continued towards the front of the ship. The water was still making my trek in the gray much easier. I saw yet another crew member had silhouetted by the lantern on the bow. As I approached, I realized it was not one, but two figures. Just before I was close enough to make out any detail, one darted away while the other collapsed to the ground. I ran ahead to see Smith, a young bearded fellow, convulsing his blood gushed with each pulse of his heart from his neck and wrist while intestines lay strewn, presumably stretched in the direction his assailant had vanished. His life poured out of him, staining the deck on its path down the sides of the ship into the ocean below us, all before I could get anything more than a choked gurgle from him. His eyes were lifeless by the time I was able to kneel beside him. I gingerly closed Smith's eyes, then stood and followed his glistening innards. 
straight to the ship's edge. Like his blood, they too vanished into the fog below. His assailants seemed to have become one with that cursed fog, since they hadn't run past me and all that remained was the sea. The chill in the air seemed more black than before. I hurried back up the ship, looking for signs of either crew or assailant. In my rush, I slipped and fell ass over heels directly on my back, knocking the wind out of me. As I lay gasping for breath, the muffled sound of dripping water registered through the makeshift plugs from my ears, likely the cause of my fall. It took me a moment to recover, and as I placed my hand on the deck to stand, I found what I had slipped on. I followed the liquid from my hand up the mast of the large body swaying slightly in the still air. A slower but steady stream of blood poured from his open stomach, where his intestines were pulled out and wrapped tightly around his neck before being tied to the mast. I briefly wondered which had killed him, suffocation or exsanguination. In either case, it's remarkable just how strong one's insides can be. I finally arose, slowly wiping my hand onto the front of my shirt, one of the few portions of clothing I had that wasn't yet soiled with bodily fluids. Two gruesome deaths with stomachs turned inside out was more than just a rogue killer among us. This seemed animalistic and the noose made of flesh and blood almost seemed ritual-like. It was certainly sadistic in any case. I hurried afterward while continuing to peer cautiously into the fog. I may have seen shapes form, but they disappeared just as quickly, likely a trick of the mist toying with my overly vigilant mind. I reached the ladder to the crew quarters and quickly dropped below deck. The lanterns that normally hung from the ceiling were shattered on the ground, crunching underfoot as I stepped through the darkness. Reaching into my pocket, I fumbled with the match as I glanced behind me, feeling as though I wasn't alone. With the match finally lit, I quickly opened the first door next to me. It appeared empty at first. As I looked closer, I realized two crewmen were in there just shredded so thoroughly that the walls, floor, and ceiling were all coated with a paste of their flesh. Bits of bone and an eyeball were the only clues I had to their former presence. I quickly backed away, careful not to slip again on their eviscerated remains. Moving as fast as I could, I made my way to my bunk, lighting a new match as the current one burned out. Starting inside as the second match flickered out, I was once again met with the uneasy feeling of being watched in the darkness. In my haste, I dropped the matchbook and immediately sank to the ground, feeling for it in the pitch. My hand felt a boot and I quickly stood up to realize Christopher was with me, offering me the matchbook. For better or for worse, I couldn't quite make out what he was saying and had no intention of changing that. I simply took the matches and lit another one, revealing his wide eyes and pale face. Clearly, he had witnessed at least a portion of what I had. I lit a lantern and removed it from the wall, relying on that as my light source instead of quickly burning matches. 
I opened a sack beside my bed and withdrew a revolver. Each of the six loaded bullets was special. One made of silver, one made of iron, one containing a mix of packed salt and evaporated blood from a priest, and three more, each with a unique symbol embossed on the rear of it. Six shots would kill anything I had yet encountered, and with that revolver in my hand, I felt confidently prepared for the final stage of my investigation. It was time the captain and I had a chat. It wasn't until I climbed the ladder to the deck I realized that fool Christopher had followed me, cowering a little behind me. Not that I wished him dead, but he wouldn't have been my first choice to survive whatever was happening aboard the ship. I brazenly stormed the captain's quarters, lantern in my bandaged right hand, gun in my left, aimed straight out, then faltered at the sight before me. A dozen or so crew, including poor Patrick, were laid out and gutted on the floor, forming a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder circle. In the center stood Captain John. Beside him was a creature I had never seen before. Its hairless, pale, nearly translucent skin appeared to be a mixture of human and scales, almost lizard-like. Its eyes were milky white, with flashes of lightning seeming to spark at uneven intervals inside them. There were no expressive features, just a blank stare as its unusually long arm slowly raised up towards the captain while it remained facing me. Its mouth opened, revealing wide, sharp teeth spaced unevenly throughout its mouth in multiple layers, clearly designed for shredding whatever it fed on. As soon as its jaw was extended, Captain John froze. I quickly glanced behind me to see Christopher, also tensed and frozen. As I turned back to the creature and the captain, I realized we were not alone. Several more creatures of the same species lined the walls, and yet another was crawling in through the rear port window, water pooling at its webbed feet and blood dripping from its hands. Its hands were unusual as well. It had two long sides, but with multiple knuckles able to wrap several times around a pole, somewhere between a human hand, a crown claw, and an octopus's tentacle. Its mouth closed, and the captain and Christopher both relaxed, but only for a moment. Captain John looked beyond me and shouted something. I spun to see Christopher with something protruding from his stomach. Twenty bits of sharpness penetrating him slid upwards and twisted before coming together, yanking everything they entangled out through his back, severing his spine in the process. He dropped to the ground, revealing a creature behind him, still holding his organs in its grip as it looked on blankly. I leveled the gun at it and fired quickly to no avail, although the bullet made of iron seemed to wound it. I took a step backwards, bumping into the feet of a dead crewman. I spun back around to see the creature had its two fingers around Captain John's neck, moving up towards his jaw. He was saying something, speaking fast and desperately. I removed the rags from my head so I could hear him. His eyes widened and he shouted, No! But it was too late. The room filled with a sound I still cannot describe as every creature opened its mouth. 
As soon as I heard it, every muscle in my body tensed. I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. This went on for what felt to be an eternity. My muscles were exhausted and my lungs burned as my peripheral vision darkened red. Then it stopped and I was left gasping for breath in a weakened body as I immediately dropped both the gun and the lamp, the latter of which shattered immediately igniting the floor's oil spread. When I could finally hear more than my heartbeat, I could make out the captain swearing. We had a deal. Last time was it. No more. I've given you enough. Claw slowly extended from the two fingers poised at his jaw, blood misting at each pulse as they slid into his skin and tissue, breaking bone and severing muscle. They continued extending until they poked out of his cheeks and began lifting him up from the ground. It opened its mouth again and we both tensed up. This time I could make out the words. We are still hungry. Captain John's head atop the claws could no longer bear the weight of his body and it slowly split apart. At the last moment, the creature brought its claws together, slicing through his skull like butter as his brain was shredded, spilling onto the floor. The sound continued, leaving me unable to move or even look away as it approached me. The rest of the creatures had left leaving just this one and me with a room full of bodies and fire. I used every ounce of willpower to run, to fight, to even just look away. It was to no avail. I felt every moment of its bloody claws slowly entering my stomach. Although I couldn't see, I knew the excruciating pain was my organs being pulled outside of my body. I felt blood pushing its way up into my mouth, but I was unable to cough it out and it slowly dripped back down into my lungs until they were full. All the while, the creature stared with blank eyes, emotionless, as I drowned in my own blood. Death, when it came, was a mercy. There now, wasn't that a pleasant bedtime story, Jeremy? Just the sort of tale for sweet, delicious dreams. You know, I sometimes wonder why that old man kept going, leading a life so full of pain and defeat. Then again, perhaps he's the reason ships are made the way they are. 1841. Yes, if memory serves, it was right around then that we started building them with iron. That tracks. Funny the way history can be. I wonder what humanity will be like when you and I are done with it. I wonder what history will teach. I'm afraid I must leave now. I have a whole host of people back home just waiting for me to feed them. It'd be a shame to let them go hungry, wouldn't you agree? Of course you would. 
I'll tell Chris you said hello. Good night, Jeremy.